you need to have very clear vision. And vision is based upon purpose. Once you understand what your purpose is, then you create the vision to facilitate that. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of martialartsmedia.com, George Faree. Hi, this is George Free from MartialArtsMedia.com and welcome to the Martial Arts Media Business Podcast, episode number nine. Today, for the first time, I cross international borders and have an American guest on board all the way from San Francisco, Mr. Brandon Beliso. Now, of course, I'm still going to be interviewing multiple Australian martial arts school owners, but um, the aim with this podcast is really to interview guests from all over the world, anybody that is a leader within the martial arts industry that are doing great things, and anybody that we can learn from. And Professor Brandon Beliso is definitely on the list of one of the great leaders within the industry. I'm familiar with his one merit badge system before I knew who Brandon was, which is basically a system, a reward system for kids. And we're going to touch a bit on that, which you probably might be familiar with already. But more importantly, we're going to talk about Brandon's philosophy about martial arts, how he got started basically living on top of a his dad's martial arts school premises when he was a kid, and how he's focused on the servicing side of providing a great service and modeling different companies of providing a great service within the martial arts industry. But I can assure you lots to learn from Brandon in this episode. Show notes and transcriptions are available on martialartsmedia.com forward slash nine, the number nine. And I would love your feedback. Anybody that you recommend that I should be interviewing, any feedback on what we can improve on the show. And if you want to support us, a great way to do that is to head over to iTunes, which you'll find a link on this episode, martialartsmedia.com forward slash nine. Find the link that goes over to iTunes and leave us a comment and a review. Five star reviews help us get up there in the rankings, but an honest review is much appreciated. That's it from me for now. Please welcome to the show, Professor Brandon Beliso. Good day, everyone. Today I have with me my first American guest, Professor Brandon Beliso. Now, Brandon Beliso is all the way from Sacramento, is that right? San Francisco. Actually, San, San Francisco. San Francisco. All right. I've got that wrong in the first minute of the <laughs> first few seconds of the episode. <laughs> all right. So we'll, we'll definitely flip it from there. Now, you'd, you might be more familiar with Brandon's program as well. Uh, which is currently called One Merit Badges. This is actually, this is the first thing I remember from when my, when my son started martial arts, he's getting all these badges that were, it was really impressive because it's got all these successful words and, and complimenting words for skills and things that they achieve in their classes. And now I actually meet the man behind the whole system, which is Brandon Bliso. So welcome to the call. Thank you. Thanks for having me, George. I'm grateful to be here. So first up, Brandon, uh, let's just go back to to the beginning for people who are not familiar with you. Who is Brandon Beliso? Well, somebody the other day had had labeled me, I am a multifaceted modern day renaissance man. And I went, wow, I've actually got a couple of books I'm working on, (laughs) a children's book. I've got an actual self-help type um, enlightenment book coming out. 
as you know, I have one merit badges, which will soon be called Kids Love Life Skills. That's in three, 400 schools across the globe, and it's very big in Australia. I own two martial arts schools, uh, one in San Francisco, one outside in a suburb. And we have about 900 students between the two locations. But it's a very unique business model, and I'll share that with you in, in a little bit. Um, I had a big music career in Asia about 20 years ago. I've owned several other businesses. So I love to create. I love to impact. I love to make a difference. So anything that allows me to do that, whatever medium offers me that, um, you'll find me there. Okay. So, so I'd almost call you a true artist, not, not just a martial artist, but a real artist, because it sounds Absolutely. like you have, there's a lot of, um, you're using a lot of outlets for the expression of your creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, now with social media, you'll find me at Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, any type of social media, any way I can communicate. I use Facebook Live. I break all the rules. Um, it's really about content. We know content is the king, whether it's social media or otherwise, and it's producing um, relevant content, not just sales-based content, but relevant content that impacts people at a much higher level. And I find that to be an art form as well. So how did you go from, so you start, what came first, the music career or martial arts? No, martial arts. I began martial arts and I want to date myself a little bit, George. I started martial arts back in 1967. Yeah, I'm actually 55 years old. Oh, wow. So yeah, I started in 1967. At the time, kids weren't training and my father was one of my instructors. So as a child, I had to sit in the corner for two hours a night, three, four days a week, I believe. And I would have to sit in Saison, kneeling position in silence, to prove to these adults I wouldn't be disruptive if I was allowed into the class. So I actually began training in San Francisco at the age of five. I've done martial arts my whole life, but I never really looked at it as a viable business. I see the majority of our industry, I don't know how it is there in Australia, but I would say 80, 90% of the industry, maybe 100 students. You know, the owner is the operator, he teaches, he does everything. And that's pretty much the way they exist for the entire duration of their martial arts career. Um, and, and for myself, I felt that to be a very bad business model. I didn't see it as to be profitable as I believe a martial arts instructor should be. Kind of like the teachers here in America get paid so little or politicians make so much. I think it should be the other way around. <laughs> teachers that are educating children and making an impact should make so much more money. So I never looked at it as a business. I always taught. I was a good soldier. You know, I taught for my father while I was running other businesses. I taught for my other instructors. Um, so it was never really a business I looked at. I have to do say, though, I had a school when I was 19 years old down in Southern California in Los Angeles, but I was a fighter. So every night was fight night. Within nine months, that school was closed. So I don't even consider that a business. That was more of a hobby that fed into my training. So I, I, I didn't succeed with that. I was a great fighter, but uh, the school went nowhere. <laughs> Okay, so I guess, and, and not to go completely off that topic, so but how, how, does, how does the musician, and, and I'm a musician, this is probably why it's, see, this is, this is the self-interest coming in. I, I play the drums uh, very passionately in my living room. But uh, <laughs> where, where, did the, where did the music career part come in in Asia? Well, I, I think originally my father managed this guy that was the Elvis Presley of the Philippines. So when he was here in America doing his shows and his tours, I, as a young child, my father being a single father, I, I would tag along by, by default. 
So I already at a young age developed a kinship for music. Then I started playing in bands and I did that well into my 20s. I wasn't landing a record deal here. And I got tired of being married to five guys. Not, not, not to be discriminatory, but drummers are the hardest. Yes. You know, we're always, we're always <laughs> turning over those drummers, right? All the time we're replacing a drummer. So I found creativity. We never developed the music because we're always trying to break in a new musician. So I went solo, taught myself to play well enough on any one given instrument kept plugging along and eventually I wasn't getting a record deal here and I landed one with Warner Brothers in Asia. Had a top 10 album, three top 10 hits. Did that for about a number of years and then the lifestyle was just too decadent for me. If I could just be on a stage every minute, I would be fine, but the rest of it wasn't something I, that really appealed to me. So I gave it up and came back here and uh, put out a very popular, my version of Taibo at the time. I liked it because it had music, it was martial arts, it was all kind of all rolled up in one. So I put out my own version that's still at Amazon that sold quite well. And then eventually from that, I opened up my first school. But but you need to know, I, I think the thing with my platform or, or the message that I communicate with people, George, is, is I don't believe in most of the philosophies that the martial arts industry offers us today the contracts the upgrades the belt testing fees the enrollment fees you know they're always nickel and diming you when i hear that perception associated with the martial arts at all that that makes my heart very sad when you can look into wikipedia and you see a term mcdojo or black belt factory that was very unappealing for me that hurt my heart having grown up in a martial arts school because we actually lived above my father's martial arts school so martial arts is life for me and I would never associate it with something like a used car salesman or McDonald's. So what I said about doing, George, is I created a service-based business model. And that's a huge movement. If you look at companies like Zappos, you look at companies you know, like Amazon, everything's working towards being more sales-based, getting rid of the sales scripts, you know, service-based, getting rid of the sales scripts, all those things that are going to the side. <clears throat> and, and you look at people's social media like Gary Vee, Vaynerchuk, he'll say the same thing. You really, content is king. You, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So I created this business model where it's very service-based. And what we've done with that, which is very unique, uh, both my schools collectively, you know, the first school, we broke our first million in year seven. That grosses a million a year, does a 30% net. Uh, and that, that's pretty phenomenal for a school in 3,700 square feet. The new school that we have, which is only 18 months old, has 330 students, and it's on a path to do $700,000 this year. So people are very intrigued that there's actually data now because we're replicating it, and the people that I consult also that feel that way. Because at a heart level, I don't believe a martial artist wants to sit somebody down in an office and sell them a contract. And if you ask any mom, what would she prefer, a month-to-month or a long-term contract? I think any mom's going to tell you, I would prefer a month to month. So if we look at it from that perspective as an industry that we want to serve our clients at a higher level, George, then we're in a whole different realm. And from that, I've created this very unique business model. I lead the movement. I would say I'm one of the only successful people doing it this way. A lot of people doing it with no contracts, things like that, but they're not very profitable and they're not very successful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because... At, at the end of the day, if you if you're following the service based business model, you just if you just put your focus on deliver, if you deliver, you're going to keep a happy client rather than keep them there under under this massive contract that keeps them there, you know, unwillingly as such. But beyond the contracts, where, where do you think where do you think school owners are going wrong? 
Well, I, 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 I think it's number one, really defining your values and what your purpose is in this world. I learned at a very young age, sweeping in my grandmother's restaurants, you know, these little coffee shops. Um, I love service. I love serving people, whether I'm being paid or not being paid. I love serving people. You come to my house, I'm the first one to cook dinner for you. You know, I just love to serve. <clears throat> so at a heart level, I understand very clearly what my purpose is in this world. Now, to turn that into a profitable business was really the, the goal. And loving martial arts, they went hand in hand. So I think that's the first thing is martial arts. You know, normally you buy your teacher's school or you, you get a black belt. You love the martial arts or you think you're going to throw down some mats and open a school. Um, you need to have very clear vision. And vision is based upon purpose. Once you understand what your purpose is, then you create the vision to facilitate that. Does that make sense? Definitely so. Definitely so. Yeah. So, so for me, that, that was really important. Once I knew my vision was about service, and I wasn't going to be this guy who sat you in an office and tried to sell you a contract, and then six months later, I'm going to upgrade you into a black belt club or a master's club or a super ninja club. Once I was clear about that, then it really had to go about creating a business model that didn't exist. Now, there was no data in our industry because all the data is contracts, upgrades, blackboard clubs, belt fees, you know, retail equipment, et cetera. So there was no data. So I had to look outside our industry for that. See, but I was able to do that because my vision was very clear. So going back to that question, where are martial arts school owners going wrong? First of all, understand your values and purpose. Second, define that clearly into vision. Then once you have a vision, then you develop an action plan. And then you develop the team to facilitate that. Then you execute it on a daily basis because we're living in a dual, dual purpose. I have here and I have there. Here, George, is I got to open the door, take the money, teach the classes. That's got to happen or I have no business. But beyond that, every day, I want to move my business there. What is it going to look like in three to five years? How many students? How many team members? How much revenue am I going to generate? How many locations? If that even be in your vision. Some people are perfectly content. I want 100 students. That's all I ever need. That's my vision of success. And that's the other part about that. If you're very clear on your values, you're very clear on your vision, then who but you define what is success for you. And that's the big thing with the consultants and stuff. I'm going to step up and, and, and stand toe to toe with any of them. I'm tired of consultants telling you this is what success should be for you. Exactly. So what do we do? Yeah. So out of fear, George, what do we do? We chase them. We chase these guys, we want their cars, and we want their, you know, their success in what they have, where it may not even be your vision to begin with. This year, my businesses will do about 1.7 million. That'll work. I mean, I'm very content with that. It's not as much as, you know, other people, but for my lifestyle, it works really, really well. Really well. And see, so based upon that, you have to decide that. If I make a dollar and I spend 50 cents, I have 50 cents in the bank. I make a million dollars and I spend two, uh, two million, I'm in debt. So it's also, you know, how the lifestyle you want to create and what you determine a value versus what isn't a value. And for me, service is just that. So and I, I, that's the first thing. Be clear about your values. Be clear about your purpose. Make that vision. Make the action plan. Develop the team to facilitate it and then execute that on a daily basis. And then, then I think, and, and if I can go so I don't lose yes, that thought, George. I know you got something right there for me, um, is, is that understand when you open up a martial arts school because you love to teach, teaching is probably the smaller part of what you're going to be doing. You know, here's a great example. I love to bake. So I open a bakery. 
Well, guess what? I'm not only baking, I'm hiring, I'm firing, I'm marketing, I'm doing payroll, I'm doing books, I have to do customer service, probably have to clean the place on my own in the beginning too, and the band played on. So recognize it's not martial arts by itself, it's the martial arts business. And I cannot just be a black belt on the mat. I have to be a black belt in advertising, Facebook ads, customer service, hiring, firing, motivating a team. I mean, there's so many facets, and you need to know enough of each so that you can speak to an accountant in in an educated professional manner and know what you need and know what to get from it just like even when i speak to a janitor i want to be able to know you know how to facilitate that best so you need to kind of wear many hats in your business and be great at wearing those hats excellent i want to i want to know more about what that where that there and that vision is for you but i want to go just just back one step again because as you mentioned and it's known as it as it is here you know most most martial arts business owners are not that that, that successful. And it, I, and I guess if you take the flow of how it happens, there's a passion for martial arts. There's obviously there's a, there's a spurning design side that I feel I can make a better difference. I can do things better. I can, I want to, I want to show my way of doing things. And, and that progresses into going for the business. But do you feel because, do you think it's hard for martial arts business owners to ask for help just because of the nature of martial arts, because you achieve so much going through your belts and achieving a level, a success level at martial arts, that it's almost, uh, that it's, it's hard to go and face the music and say, look, well, I actually need help with this instead of rather just being stubborn about it almost and, and not asking for help. And due to that, maybe, that being the cause that martial arts business owners are not that successful. Well, I, I think we, we go back to establishing the mindset to begin with, and I'm very passionate about creating a success mindset, and that success mindset is rooted in learning. So every day I wake up, I put on a white belt, and I'm the first person to raise my hand at a seminar. I'm the guy sitting up in the front row with my taking the best notes. You know, I just want to be successful. And to be successful, you have to learn because if I'm not learning, I'm not growing. And if I'm not growing, I'm not living. And you're right. They, they become a black belt and they put that black belt around their waist. And it's almost, you know, it's like, I can't show that I'm weak. I can't show that I don't know. And it's so detrimental because I'm my own best friend. I'm my own worst enemy. And if I wake up every day and I'm my own best friend, I'm going to recognize to be successful. I must live from a learning or a growth mindset. Because how's my business not only going to sustain, but be growth-oriented if I don't live from that place? Right. So it's accepting that, humbly accepting that every day. The oldest white belt is the one who woke up the earliest today. And that's it. And you're right, because they wrap too many degrees around, and they're the master of the grandmaster, the super great grandmaster. And I don't know when that happened, because when I grew <laughs> up, we had two things. There was sensei. You know, which was Japanese for teacher, and there was Shifu, which was Chinese for teacher. And then somewhere in the 80s, I don't know what happened, then all of a sudden there was a master, and then there was a grandmaster, then there was a great grandmaster, and then suddenly this guy's got 50 different black belts, and it just became this, this thing of insecurity and everybody trying to one up another when it should be the actual opposite direction. The higher I get in the martial arts, the less I know. See, I'm not afraid of what I do, what I don't know. I'm afraid of what I do know, George, because that's what limits my thinking. That's what narrows my vision. And that's when ego and security dominate that. And then I'm at a loss. So if I can wake up every day, strap on that white belt and live from a humble learning mindset, I, I, I don't believe I, I can't be successful. It's impossible. All right. Excellent. So 
Brandon, you were going, you were, you were, you were headed in the direction of the, the there and the vision, the vision that you have. Do you mind sharing a bit more about your vision? Yeah, my, my vision is to change the world. I mean, that's it. And, and I'm going to start with the martial arts industry and work my way out. You know, I love the martial arts. I was, I was born on the mat and I'll die on the mat. I love being a martial artist. So I want to change the industry. And that first part is recognizing, one, you don't have to suffer for your art. And two, you don't have to be a McDojo and be a terrible martial artist and a great businessman. Now, I don't believe that. I think that's, that's old, old, old thinking and it needs to be eliminated. I think you can have quality martial arts and be extremely profitable. It's like a fine restaurant. And I really promote that vision. So that vision today is part of that, is recognizing number one is the food in the restaurant. And that is the curriculum we deliver. It's the same thing, food, curriculum. You wanna put a bad restaurant out of business? Give them great marketing. And that's what bothers me with the consultants. That's what bothers me with what the majority that's out there. Everything's marketing, 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 but they never get into what's the quality of the product, how to improve that product. So curriculum is the food in the restaurant. Second is the staff, the waiter, the busboy, the bartender, the hostess. Well, that's your teaching staff. And are they delivering that food, or in this case, the curriculum, at the highest level? So I spend a lot of money on curriculum development. I spend a lot of money on staff training. Those two things are very, very important to me. Then three, fulfilling our purpose of service. So we develop systems and teachings to teach people to serve better. So really, it's, it's first is that vision, and then I want to reach a bigger audience, and that's where the one merit badge comes in, soon to be kids of love, love, life skills. Um, I don't know if I'm just getting older, but I see the challenge for children today with iPads and technology and everything. There's a huge disconnect. There's a huge disconnect. Respect is not a bad word. Self-discipline is not a bad word. We should not be afraid to be parents. We should not be afraid to challenge our kids. We need to stop pacifying them. We need to hold them accountable. We need to give them the tools to be successful. And so my vision on a bigger, on a bigger stage is to facilitate learning for parents, for coaches, for educators, for instructors on how to teach life skills. Because life skills aren't taught anywhere. Maybe in church on a small you know, in a very small way, but it's not taught in everyday life, which where it needs to be. Even in martial arts schools, I think for the majority, we need to do a better job. You wouldn't go to the football coach and say, hey, teach my son focus and discipline, but you would walk into a martial arts school and demand that, and demand that. And if we don't have some type of written, proven system in place, then we're just spinning our wheels with life skills. So I, I think that needs to change too. And then lastly, my vision on a bigger platform is, is to speak, to travel, which I'm doing so much more and affecting every business, any type of business that believes in service, believes in people before profits, that believes in raising that bar and developing a culture, developing a tribe where their team wins, where, where their clients win, where everybody can prosper. That to me is the future. Fortunately, being here in San Francisco, George, I have right in my backyard, Facebook, Yahoo, Twitter, Google, YouTube, Everybody's here. Everybody's here. So this movement of being a service-based business where everything's month to month and, and we'll, we'll, we aspire to serve you is really something I get to be immersed in on a daily basis. So I'd like to spread that further too. That's awesome. Yes, you're definitely at the heart of where all the, the foundation of all the top startups in the world are positioned, which is I'd, I'd imagine you'd, you'd almost feel that when you wake up, just that that buzz of business and passion on yeah a, absolutely on a I mean, we, basis. We, we have tesla here 
So we get Elon Musk right here in my backyard. And then what, a, what talk about an artist, you know, creating all the time, all the time. And, you know, what I learned from him is you don't have to know to go. He knew nothing about space travel or anything. He decided he wants to colonize in space. Boom. Developed a new wing. And here he goes. I mean, this guy developed PayPal. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. And just to see that type of inspiration here. And of course, Apple's in my own backyard with Steve Jobs. God bless his soul. I mean, just to see that. But creating that balance is the other thing that I see, the work-life balance. Zuckerberg fights for that in Facebook with his people, you know, and I'm striving to create that with my team. I don't want to burn people out. I want them to love to come to work. I want them to love to live their life outside of work. So it's supporting that in every way possible. So yeah, I wake up to that buzz every day, every day, and I'm very grateful for that. So I want to get back to the, uh, to the one merit badges that are now changing over to Kids Love Life Skills. How did this come about? And it just if you just, can just give a bit of a background about it for those that are not familiar with the program. Absolutely. You know, I walked into a guy's school and I say, well, how do you teach discipline? He goes, it's up there on the wall. What do you mean it's up there on the wall? That's just, anyone can hang a sign that says discipline. How do you teach it? Well, if you do 5,000 kicks, you have discipline. I said, no, you don't. You have a really good kick. Again, teach me how you teach discipline. So I saw that huge disconnect and I knew as far as being a premium service, you know, being able to fulfill that client's needs, it's going back to everybody's walking to martial arts school, demanding you teach focus and discipline. I felt a huge gap, a huge disconnect. And the other thing I saw out there was every life skill system that was available is very task driven. And why doesn't tasks work? I'll give you my example. I was judging at a tournament in forms. Kid stepped into the ring, had a black belt, right? Black belt kid. Perfect respect, perfect eye contact, perfect focus, perfect form, discipline, everything. First place trophy. I looked over 10 minutes later. That same kid had his black belt tied around his head, and he was kicking and punching his friend. So does he really possess those life skills, or was he simply dancing for the prize? Well, yes. I believe he was simply dancing for the prize. And that's the problem in our culture as a whole is I want people to love to learn, not appear smart. I believe if you love to learn, you'll learn and you will be smart. But they put the cart before the horse. It's the same thing here. They say yes, sir, to your face, and then they turn their back and they're dropping the F-bomb. Or on the flip side, you know, in our industry, you got leaders dropping the F-bomb left and right. And I think it's just, it's so backwards now. You know, of course, we have the election coming up and, you know, we know we've got Trump on one side who, who has no problem saying anything about anyone. I think that's wrong. I just think it's wrong. I think we as the leaders need to teach that. So going back several years before that, I really decided I wanted to develop a life skill system that was more organic. And people say, well, what do you mean by that? You're from San Francisco. Okay, I get it. You're organic. No, 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 no. What I meant by that were people learn a life skill like focus. They practice a life skill like focus. Then it becomes a habit through that practice and it becomes part of their nature. So instead of saying, you got to do these 10 things to get a focus badge, you know, we look for signs by planting seeds, by creating opportunities, environments, exercises, where people organically are experiencing focus, not just simply learning it. It's like when you took a history class. Do you remember that? We memorized a bunch of useless information, yes. got a great grade in the class, and as soon as that history class was over, we forgot all of it. It had zero impact on our life, zero. And I recognize that too. I watched all these students, you know, doing these pages and pages of these life skill systems that are out there. And I'm going, you know, it's much like as a fighter. When I stepped into the ring, I used three or four techniques. So I had the discipline. If I can't write a mat chat in one short page, I better go back and rewrite it again. 
I'm either being very repetitive, I'm adding a bunch of fodder that's useless. So I had that discipline. Every document, if a student parent handout, which we give to the parents to utilize, but we don't tell them what they have to do. We simply say, read this, apply it to the dynamics of your house, and you choose how they earn this badge at home. So again, holding the parent accountable, involving the community, all those different elements. And it is a little, as we say, kumbaya, but you know, because people, I want them to become critical thinkers, not sheep. No, tell me the 10 things I must do to get this. No, 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 no. You tell me the 10 things you want your student to do to get that focus badge. Excellent. See, and, yeah, because we live in this instant gratification, quick fix society where people want it all done for them. I think what's, what's lacking because now, again, I'm going to date myself, George. I grew it. up when there were no, no computers, right? There was none of that. Nowadays, if I don't know something, I just Google it. Look at, the, look at a video at YouTube. So that critical thinking is being bred out of people methodically because of technology. And there needs to be that balance, you know? That where we're critically thinking through every challenge that we have, because at the end of that critical thinking and solving a challenge you might have in your life is self-esteem, is self-confidence, is the self-worth you feel from figuring something out. So one merit badge just basically assimilates those different philosophies. Great. It's 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 very. What I like about it is it's covering all modalities. It's, it's very, it's, it's kinesthetic. So it's physical because you actually, you know, the kids are earning it and they, 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 they're working for it. And then it's the verbal. They, they get it from the instructor who says, well done. You get the focus badge. And it's, so it's, it's visual, audio and kinesthetic. And then it's, you always see like, cause I mean, I remember my son, his, his last, his last martial arts gi had it was kind of unbalanced because he had all these badges on the one <laughs> on the one side but the pride that they that the kids feel when they earn that and it's like really they earned it because they put they put the hard work into it to get it and they wear it with pride definitely well that's and that's why it's called a badge it's not a patch it's like a badge of honor you know, they're earning this. And that's the key thing I think you picked up right away as a parent, George, you know, sitting there in the audience watching your child in this martial arts school is that they learn to earn things because we are earning our whole life. We're earning our personal self-respect. We're earning, you know, our wages. We're earning our, if we're building a business, we're earning the respect of our team. We're constantly earning things. And I think the quick fix, give your kid everything where they believe they're entitled is a huge mistake and a huge injustice that we're giving our children. They should learn to earn things. That is very crucial to their development. I believe that. I had a conversation about this a few days ago that that I think we're going to see the repercussions of this this way of of teaching and this everybody gets a reward, everybody gets a participation rewards. Nobody has to earn anything. I, I'm really. I'd, and I hate to be negative, but I'd, I'm 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 certain there's going to be some repercussions in the next few decades of this whole lack of education and getting people to earn what they what they learn, basically. Well, yes, because they believe they're entitled with minimal effort. You know, they have this misconception that they're great at something when they're not. I mean, it started that way here. You see, at three, four years old, my son was playing baseball. They never kept score. Everybody got the same trophy and everybody got on base. And I went, what? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever because you know what? Some people win, some people lose. There is first place, there is second place, there is third. I mean, that's life. 
And if you can't handle disappointment or process disappointment, you know, I do some of my best learning lying flat on my face, George, flat on my face. I, I don't learn being comfortable and complacent. I learn when things are challenging. I'm, I learn when life asks me to step up and swing that bat when there's nothing left. You know, that's the huge difference. And we're already witnessing it. We had it here a while back and, and, and where a young man who was very pretty well off at one of the colleges, um, wanted to date a certain ethnicity of woman and the girls wouldn't date him. So he was so bummed out. He killed his three roommates, went over to the sorority house, killed a couple of them, then drove his $70,000 Beamer through a downtown area hitting people till he shot himself because he simply couldn't handle the disappointment and the rejection that came with that. Rejection is necessary in life. You know, we need to learn to process rejection, disappointment, failure. That's just part of life. And if you can embrace it and learn to embrace it as a positive and make it work for you, that's very important. I've had parents come up to me. I really think my child should have earned a badge. You know, they didn't earn a badge in class and that kid did. I hear you there, ma'am. Here you go. Here's a student parent handout. I will give you the badge and you can choose how you want them to earn it. And then they go, wow, okay. And then they're even tougher on the kid than we were in class. So I think that that it's just an awakening, and I agree with you that, uh, George, we need to awaken people to that. Children simply mimic what we teach them, and that's the truth. Of course, they have their own individuality, their own expression, but when the day is done, we as educators must recognize, if I take a seed and, and, I, and I stick it in the dark and I never water it and leave it on a paper towel, it will not grow. I give it fertile soil and fertilizers and good water, and I play Mozart to it, and I stick it in the sunlight every day. It's got a better chance of growing strong, right? Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very passionate about that, as you can hear, because I have children myself. I have a, right now I have a five- and a seven-year-old, and, and I see that. And my children earn things, and, and they do have more than I ever had growing up as a child. But they will never walk around as if they're entitled. I'll be the first one to check them on that. Excellent. Brandon, uh, just a few more questions. Uh, I want to I wanna touch on the TED Talk and how that came about. And for, for people that aren't familiar with TED, TED, how would you describe TED? I think TED is a very unique culture. Um, their demands are very high, very stringent. I mean, I speak all over the world. I teach all over the world. haven't been to Australia yet, but I know they're going to bring me out there soon. Um, it'd be a great thing to go to Australia. It, it really is. TED is a movement. TED is a culture. And it's about critical thinking. And it could be a high school kid. It could be, you know, a, a philosophy professor to a scientist, to a fireman, anybody that's a critical thinker that's trying to make a difference, trying to impact the world. You know, TED will definitely look at you. So I submitted a tape. I submitted my philosophy, who I am to TED. And through TED, a local TED event contacted me. And I submitted my, and I've never had to do this. I had to submit a full written 18-minute speech, what I was going to present on. They countered it and crossed it, so I edited a bunch <laughs> of stuff. I had to go to rehearsal, two rehearsals and a dress rehearsal. It was intense, but it taught me to be a better speaker. It tested my conviction on what I believe, and mine was being happy on purpose. And I spoke about happiness is a choice and what it takes to facilitate that choice of wanting to be happy. Because we live in a very cynical, negative world, and I think it takes a lot to be happy. You know, when you are happy, people want to pull you down, and there's negativity. So it's really about what it takes to be happy. So it was called Happy on Purpose. And it's out there. I think they pulled it down because I wasn't happy with the edits. Um, it was shot very poorly because it was done it was 
the people who shot it just it needed work. So I had one of my people clean it up as much as possible. So it'll be back up at the TED site soon enough, I believe. Okay. Well, as, as soon as it's up, we will we will have that. Oh, yeah. We will link to that here in the show notes so that everybody Absolutely. can see. We'll we'll actually include it in the post right below you. Brandon, thank you very much for your time. There was there's a lot of points that you hit that I knew you're so passionate about, and why I, I'm not fond of asking this question, but I have to ask it to you. Is there anything that you would like to share that I that I didn't ask you and that I didn't lead into? You know, I mean, I think we're at a real crossroads in the martial arts industry. I think people believe they have to suffer for their art, and they and if they are any shape, way, or form profitable, then they feel guilty, almost ashamed of it. And I think that needs to change. I think we, as true martial artists, need to take back our industry from these salesmen. We need to take it back from these consultants that every slick oil salesman that's trying to sell you, I'll get you a thousand students in six months. All that needs to be done away with. I think we need to become a culture-based business that's rooted deeply in service and values. And we need to be clear about our purpose and responsibly and transparently market to people and believe in our product at the highest level. And I use the Disneyland experience. You don't walk into Disneyland and they make you sign a contract to pay for next year. You walk into Disneyland, you go for that one day, and if they create a memorable experience, guess what? You come back again and again. And people do that from decade to decade from the, the time they were a child and then they become an you know, old person. And I think that's really, really important. We're at a crossroads, and I see people are just throwing up their hands in desperation you know, they're, they're giving their last penny to these guys. And I'm a consultant, so I know I'm shooting myself in the foot with this. But you really need to know who you are. You really need to spend that time. Go on a walkabout, as you say there. Go on a walkabout and really understand why you're here in this world, what your purpose is. Because once you can truly understand that and your vision is clear, guess what? The law of attraction, the right mentors will come to you. You will see them. They will gravitate. And, and those type of, you know, those type of unities will happen. It needs to happen because I'm feeling it here. I feel like it's the dark side, you know, the, the, against the Jedi Knights. And we're fighting because people are desperate. They're giving up and, and they're just, you know, falling in line with the fitness industries and their, their marketing practices. And I don't think we should be doing that. I don't think, I think it's short term, it's short sighted. And long term, we're going to end up hurting our industry more by doing that. I love it. Brandon, thank you so much for if, if anybody wants welcome. to get if anybody wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place to get in touch with you? Well, you know, of course, several places. You'll find me at Facebook at Brandon Beliso. You'll find me at Instagram, Pinterest. You'll find me at Snapchat as well. But you can go to BrandonBeliso.com. All my services are there as well. You could go to my YouTube channel. There's tons of motivational videos. I post tons of free content. People call me the Robin Hood of the industry because I'm out there also to the point where people are actually telling me, don't post so much. You're hurting us, you know, because you're posting too much free content. How are we supposed to sell any of this? Well, I think you can only keep what you have by giving it away. And when the day's done, if I can make a huge difference, so be it. But my services themselves, my online videos you can purchase, different things like that are at BrandonBeliso.com. And you'll find me in every social media outlet. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Brandon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, George, for having me. All, all the people there, you know, as they say, 
in, in Australia. Thank you for supporting One Merit Badges. Thank you for supporting my vision. I know I see a lot of you at the Super Show and the different places I speak. I know that we're kicking around the idea of me coming to Australia. Don't let that one go. I would love to come out there and share this and give a new sense of hope and possibilities of what we can do as true martial artists who are great businessmen and be extremely profitable. So thank you, George. Thank you very much. And there you have it. Thank you very much for listening. So how did you like the interview? Did you get value from it? Is there something that stood out for you? What do you how do you feel about Brandon's philosophy and perspective of delivering service and everything else that he discussed. Please let us know. Head over to martialartsmedia.com forward slash nine and leave us a comment below the show notes and transcriptions. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll catch you next week. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.